you know what a blueprint is. A blueprint is simply a guide for making something. It's a design or pattern that is meant to be followed. We use blueprints when we build houses or buildings. It's a design. It's, it's, it's a pattern to follow so we can get built what we intend to build. That's what a blueprint is. Well, our text this morning that we're going to study in the book of Acts is a blueprint. And it gives us all some guidance into how we can make a difference for the glory of God. And I'm going to show you how this passage applies to every believer this morning. So turn with me to Acts chapter 13. As we continue our study through Acts, Acts chapter 13. We're going to finish up chapter 13, go into chapter 14. The goal is that by the end of this month, we will have finished Acts 14. We're going to take a break. I've got a Christmas series I want to share with you that will take us through the month of November. Then we'll get back into Acts. But this morning we're in Acts chapter 13, verse 42. Acts 13, verse 42. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me, in honor of the reading of God's word, truth with no mixture of error. I'm grateful for the Bible. Acts chapter 13, verse 42. The Bible says, As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thus uh, thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, quote from Isaiah, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, started persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. We are grateful, Lord, for this opportunity to gather. We are grateful, Lord, for your presence. We are grateful, Lord, for the authority and the power of your word. And I just ask, God, that in these moments you would speak to us, that you would open the eyes of our hearts by your spirit, that we might see the truths of Scripture and give us the wherewithal to obey what we learn, to adjust our lives to what we are shown today. I pray that in all of this, the strong name of Jesus would be lifted up, that we would see his greatness, and that we would be changed in your presence. And we'll thank and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, as we've studied our way through the book of Acts, we've seen that Paul and Barnabas 
were sent out from the church in Antioch in Syria. And they left on their first missionary journey, as New Testament scholars call it. And they left uh, that church, went to Cyprus, an island in the Mediterranean. They spent some time on Cyprus, and they sailed over to Asia Minor, went to a city, uh, city named Antioch Pisidia. And we'll see how their ministry uh, finished up in this city. And then in chapter 14, we'll see how they left Antioch Pisidia. Why they left Antioch Pisidia, they went about uh, 90 miles southeast to a city, city named Iconium, We'll see why they left Iconium, and they went about 20 miles southwest to a city named Lystra, and then to a city named Derby. So they are on the move on this missionary journey. And there's much to learn from the way that they do ministry. As a matter of fact, I believe this passage, and really the entire book of Acts, is a blueprint for missionaries. It, it shows missionaries how to do what God has called them to do. It's a, a pattern, a design that can be followed. And as soon as I say that, undoubtedly some of this room say, well, if this sermon's for missionaries, I'll just tune out. I'll catch you next week because I'm, I'm not a missionary. So all the missionaries can tune in, but I, I'll sit this one out. Well, not so fast. I believe every Christian in this room falls in one of two categories. The first category, and these are in your notes, is this. You are called to missions. You may be in this room and be called to missions. Now, what I mean by called to missions, I mean there's a specific call to a specific person or family that usually involves crossing cultural or language barriers for the purpose of making disciples. Wade, why do you believe there is a call to leave one area and go to another area to share the gospel? Because we see that in the Bible. Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. The church in Antioch, in Syria, gathered together, worshiping, fasting, ministering before the Lord. And the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for that which I have for them. And so they send Paul and Barnabas out on their first missionary journey. They didn't all go, just Paul and Barnabas were, were called by God to go. And I believe that God still calls people out today to leave comfortable surroundings, familiar surroundings, and go somewhere else crossing cultural barriers, language barriers, to plant their lives and make much of Jesus. I believe that God is still calling people out today just like he did in Acts chapter 13. As a matter of fact, we have a family right now in South Asia. We have a family in South America that were sitting there in those seats just like you are today, doing their thing, minding their own business, serving Jesus, seeking him. And in the midst of all that, guess what? God called them to leave and to go a specific missionary call on their lives and so it could be that you're here today and you are called to missions i mean god may be knocking on the door of your heart right now and saying i want you to leave i want you to go i'm, I'm calling you i'm calling your family to actually go somewhere to cross some barriers for the gospel and if you have that call in your life and you're trying to discern it come talk to us as staff members we'd love to pray with you through that and talk with you through that and encourage you in that but i believe there could vary easily or or there could be people in this room this morning that are being called by God to missions now that's one group the other group in this room of those who are Christ followers is what I call everyday missionaries everyday missionaries if you're not called to leave and go somewhere to plant your life among a people group or a nation or or, or implementing a certain strategy if you're not called to do that then you are called to be an everyday missionary. So what do you mean by an everyday missionary? Well, this language comes from the North American Mission Board. 
And they say everyday missionaries are those who practice life on mission where God has placed them. It is incumbent on every believer to have an all-hands-on-deck mentality in order for the mission to reach its fullest potential. In other words, if we're going to reach the world, everybody's got to do their part. Even those who aren't called to leave and to go somewhere, God has placed you where he's placed you for a reason. And where he has placed you, he intends for you to make a difference in that place. He intends for you to be an everyday missionary. In other words, we are all called to be Great Commission Christians. Because you remember in Matthew 28, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, name the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe all that I command you, which includes the command to make disciples. So, wherever you are, you may be uh, in education, you may be in healthcare, you may be a small business owner, or there's a variety of backgrounds and occupations and situations represented in this room. Wherever you are, wherever God has you, He intends for you to make disciples. He intends for you to be a Great Commission Christian. And so if you're not called to leave and to go, and some of you may be, you may be called just to, or you are called just to be an everyday missionary, to make a difference right where God has placed you. In other words, what do you think God's perspective was in the church in Antioch? Hey, send out Paul and Barnabas, and you guys just take a break. Just relax. You just come to church and enjoy your worship and and don't worry about Antioch. No. The goal was Paul and Barnabas go on the missionary journey and the church in Antioch keeps reaching out to Antioch, right? And so you're in one of two categories this morning. You're either called to missions, you have that missionary call on your life, or you're an everyday missionary. And so this passage is for you. This is a blueprint for missions. Wherever God has placed you, how do you make a difference? How do I make a difference in my college classroom? How do I make a difference in my high school? How do I make a difference in, among my friends uh, that, I, that I pursue a hobby with? How do I make a difference in my neighborhood? How do I make a difference in my family on Thanksgiving? How do I make a difference? What do I do? This is a blueprint for missionaries. It's a pattern to follow. And there are three aspects of this passage I want you to see. This passage has much to teach us, first of all, about the spiritual receptivity of people. The spiritual receptivity of people. In this passage that we read together this morning, there are two responses to the gospel. The first is what I call enthusiastically receptive. Enthusiastically receptive. Look what it says in verse 42. As they went out... now. Uh, last week I showed you that Paul and Barnabas, when they arrived in Antioch, Pisidia, went to the, to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they began to share with their fellow Jews. And they preached the gospel. I showed you that last week. And then it says, as they went out, as they left the synagogue, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Hey, that's every preacher's dream, right? You get finished with a sermon, and people are begging you for more. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. But they're begging. They, they, hey, come, we want to hear more about this Jesus whom you are preaching. And it says there, uh, they, want to, they want to be told the next Sabbath. So after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So we see a group of people here 
who are enthusiastically receptive. Look what it says in verse 48. He preaches to them the next Sabbath. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. And so as Paul and Barnabas come riding into Antioch, Pisidia, and begin to share the good news about Jesus Christ, people are enthusiastic. They receive the message. They embrace Christ. They want to hear more. And here's the good news. If you will go and, and, and share the good news, you will find folks that want to hear it. You'll find folks that hear you out. You'll find folks that even embrace the Jesus that you are sharing. And that's exciting. That that potential is there. When you share with folks, there are folks that will enthusiastically receive the message. But there's another response represented in this passage. We see those who are enthusiastically receptive, but we also see those who are actively opposed. Look what the Bible says in verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, it says, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Look what it says in verse 50. The Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. How opposed were some of the folks in Antioch, Pisidia, to the gospel? They stirred up the authorities to persecute them and run them out of town. They didn't want to hear anything else that Paul and Barnabas had to say. And so understand that when you go forth to share the good news, when you're sowing the seed of the gospel, your, your message is going to fall on receptive hearts, good soil, as Jesus said it in the parable of the sower. But understand that also... Your message may find rocky hearts, hard hearts that don't want to hear anything you have to say and may even be antagonistic to your message. Years ago, I I was uh, invited uh, over to someone's house and I took a staff member with me and and, um, this woman had, had, uh, had called the church and was having some marital issues and so she asked that we come over and, and talk to her and her husband. And so we, we came in, and, and we were sitting on the couch, and, and we just started talking about Jesus because Jesus is our only hope, right? And I began to share Christ, and when I began to talk about Jesus, the man's face just, just changed. His whole countenance changed. And he said, that's enough. I don't hear anything else. I, I'm, I'm ready for this to be over with. And so we... Uh, you know, gave in his demands, or we, we uh, acquiesced to his demands, and we left the house. It's his house, right? But when we began to talk about Jesus, he was actively opposed. And you just need to understand, I'm going to give you the whole story, that when you go share Christ, sometimes folks aren't going to like it. But that doesn't change what we're supposed to do. Because notice here in this text, there's an attempt to get the gospel to both groups. The, 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 the receptive, Paul and Barnabas spend time with them, sharing the word of God, Those who are not receptive, it says uh, in verse 46, Paul and Barnabas speak out boldly to them. They continue to share truth with them. And so when you find yourself talking to someone that is receptive, someone that is opposed, your job is to share the good news. Now, just kind of a quick word. There's a, a debate going on in missiology today. And by missiology, I mean those that are seeking the best ways to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the debate's been going on for decades, 
And it goes something like this. Should we send our limited people and financial resources to harvest fields where people are getting saved or to areas that uh, are hard areas where there are many people that never even heard about Jesus? Folks aren't getting saved in this country over here, so we should, should, we, should we send people over there where no one's getting saved, it seems, or should we send them over to the harvest field where a lot of folks are getting saved? So in this harvest field, people are receptive, people come to Christ. Let's send more people, more money to get more people into the kingdom, right? But some say, no, we should send all of our resources and money to, to the area where people have not heard about Jesus yet. Even though it's hard and they're opposed, we need people to sow the seed of the gospel, to prepare the soil so that one day there will be receptive people. So say someone gave you a million dollars and said, hey, how do you want to use this money to position personnel in certain areas in the world? Would you use it for the harvest field or would you use it for the area that's hard, a country that doesn't want missionaries there and kicking folks out that preach Jesus? Where should we apply our resources? You know what the biblical answer is? Both. Both. We see that Paul uh, reaps harvests and he leaves the town, but he's going to come back through the towns later on to follow up with the churches, the Christians, to make sure they're reaching out and bringing in the harvest. But Paul also said in Romans, he said, My goal, my ambition, he says, is to go where Christ has not yet been named. Because I want to go sow seed in hard areas so that one day there will be a harvest. It's both. It's not either or, it's both and. And it takes the wisdom of the Spirit to to allocate those resources, to go where He leads us. But we are called to go to the receptive folks, preach the gospel, reap a great harvest, but we're also called to go to the areas that are hard and difficult and sow the seed of the gospel so that one day there will be a great harvest of souls. Listen to me. The places on this earth where people are coming to Christ in multitudes are places that were at one time very hard places. But folks went, folks like Lottie Moon went to China, sowed the seed of the gospel, so that now there are thousands coming to Christ every day in China. And so we see here that when you come across someone that is receptive, you know what you do? You share the gospel. If you come across someone that is opposed, you know what you do? You share the gospel. You sow that seed. That's a blueprint for us to follow. So wait, are there really that, do you really see those kind of vast responses to the gospel in our world, absolutely. Do you remember the, the scene at Calvary when Jesus was hanging on the cross? Do you remember that there were two thieves, one on his right, one on his left? And both men were in close proximity to Christ, hanging on the cross, bearing the sins of the world. One embraced Christ as Messiah and Lord. The other rejected Christ. One went to heaven, one went to hell. Two vastly different responses from two men who were both in proximity to Jesus. And guess what? There are two different responses to Jesus represented in this room today. There are folks who have enthusiastically received the gospel, have embraced Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they want to follow Him and live for His glory. There are people in this room today, and you've heard the good news, you've heard the gospel, but you said, hey, not right now, not for me, not my thing, no thank you, and you've turned your back to Christ. In this room today, there are two different responses to the gospel. 
But my job is to share the gospel and leave the rest up to God. And so, as we try to make a difference where God has placed us, we need to understand something of the spiritual receptivity of people that we share with. But the second thing I want you to see is we think about this blueprint for missionaries. We see some insight into the scope of the gospel. The scope of the gospel. In this passage, we see this question answered. Who is the gospel for? Who is the good news for? Now, you remember the gospel message? God loves us. He sent his only son to this earth to take on human flesh, to die on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty we deserve. After he died on the cross and was buried early on the third day, he rose from the grave. He's alive today, and he saves everyone who turns to him in repentance and faith. That's good news, right? Jesus saves sinners. That's good news because you are listening to a sinner right now. And if Jesus had not died for my sins and risen from the dead, I would be hopeless. I would be lost and far from God. But because God loves me and because Jesus died for me and because Jesus has defeated the grave, I stand before you redeemed, forgiven, a relationship with God, going to heaven when I die. The gospel is really, really good news. Really good news. And here in this passage, we see who the gospel is for. Who's this good news for? Well, first of all, I want you to see that the Jews were granted the first hearing of the gospel as God's chosen people. Look what it says in verse 46. It says, when they come back together, the Jews, verse 45, were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So Paul says the reason we came to the synagogue first, the reason we're sharing with Jews first, is because of the priority of the gospel. Over in Romans 1.16, Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God and the salvation for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. Here's a question. Why in the Bible did the gospel start in Jerusalem among the Jews? And why did Paul make it a priority to go to the synagogue first in the cities he came to? Why the Jew first? Well, the Jews, as the Bible tells us, are God's chosen people. And you say, wait, did he just choose the Jews just to have a little special nation and and he kind of just didn't care about the other nations? No, that's not the case at all. Listen to me. God chose the Jews to be a kingdom of priests, which means... Their job was to make him known to all the other nations. So they could see how great he was, and they could come and worship him too. That was the job of Israel. That's the reason they were chosen. But because they had that special privilege of being chosen to make his name known to other nations, they had the priority here. Paul goes to them first, shares the gospel. He says, hey, listen, I'm coming to you first. You're rejecting it, but you get the blessing of hearing the gospel first. The Jews were granted the first hearing. But also in this passage we see the gospel is intended for Gentiles also. Look what it says in verse 45. Verse 44. Next Sabbath almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, Jews and Gentiles gathered together, they were filled with jealousy. Why were the Jews jealous? Now, the synagogue was the place where the Jews met to worship every Sabbath. And all of a sudden, the Jews come back to synagogue for their worship service, and there's some Gentiles sitting in their seat. I grew up at Burton Baptist Church, 
And we sat in the fourth pew from the front on the left side, right over there, facing the pulpit. And it was our pew to such a degree that my mom left a pillow there. Can I get an amen? It was our pew, right? That's where we sat. That's where the Humphreys family sat every Sunday. It was our thing. And occasionally someone would be sitting on the pew, you know, when you get there, they come sit beside you, you know, and you're like, wait, what? It's kind of uncomfortable. This is our pew, right? Don't act like you don't find your little place and sit there every week. Some of you in the same place every week, all right? The Jews come to worship, and guess what? There's some Gentiles sitting in their seat. And says they're jealous. They're coming to know the God that they know. And, and they're, they're jealous. They're, they're furious by this. And, and to such a degree that they want to run the, the, the preachers, Paul and Barnabas, out of town. But look what Paul says to them in verse 46. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to who? The Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, Isaiah, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they, were, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Wow. So what we have here in this text is the gospel being shared with Jews and the gospel being shared with Gentiles. And just kind of a quick linguistic lesson, that means everybody. Because this world consists of Jews and those who are not Jews. You know what those who are not Jews are called? Gentiles. So even in this room this morning, you're either a Jew or a Gentile, but you're one of the two. Every one of you. And guess what? The gospel's for both groups. Isn't that good news? You, I'm a Gentile. I'm so glad the gospel's for Gentiles. How about you? And the gospel's for Jews. If they embrace Christ, they can be saved too. So the gospel is for everyone but notice how jealous the jews are which by the way is part of god's plan over in romans chapter 11 verses 13 and 14 he says listen the gospel is going to go to the gentiles to provoke a jealousy among the jews that they might be saved in other words as gentiles come to embrace the one true god through christ and they're walking with god and serving him the the, the jews say look they're serving the god of the bible i thought it was just for us but he's not they're being changed and transformed by him. We want what they have. We want Jesus too. Our lifestyle is to provoke jealousy among the Jews who have not embraced Jesus Christ as the true Messiah. As we show them how wonderful it is to walk and talk with God through Jesus Christ. So we see here the scope of the gospel. It's for Jews and Gentiles. Here's what I believe. Listen to me. I can go anywhere in this world. Anywhere, North America, Central America, South America, Western Europe, Central Europe, Eastern Europe, South Asia, Southeast Asia, East Asia, Central Asia, Pacific Rim, Central Africa, West Africa, East Africa, Southern Africa, Australia, New Zealand. I could go anywhere in this world and encounter anybody and say, I have some good news that's for you. I believe the Bible gives me authority to look anyone in their eyes on the face of this planet and say, God loves you. He loves you so much, He sent His only Son to die for your sins and my sins. That's good news. Aren't you glad it's for everyone? This is not some exclusive club type thing. The gospel is for 
everyone the scope of the gospel. So we're just to share it with everybody that we can. But here's the third thing, and we'll be through. We've looked at the spiritual receptivity of people. We've, we've talked about the scope of the gospel. But third and last, I want to just say a word about the strategy of missions. Whether you're called to missions or you're an everyday missionary, what are you supposed to do? I mean, if God calls you to move to Central Asia, and you move and you, 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 you arrive and you get a house and you begin to make friends and learn the language, what do you do? Where do you start? Or you're an everyday missionary. How do you reach out to your classmates? How do you reach out to your golf buddies? How do you, what do you do? What do missionaries do? Well, the blueprint's right here. I want you to see three things about the strategy of missions. Number one, they had a sowing strategy. A sowing strategy. They sowed the seed of the gospel continually. And by that I mean we are to boldly share the gospel with everyone everywhere in hopes that it goes viral. That's what happens. Look what it says in verse 46. Verse 46. Paul says, It's necessary that the word be spoken first to you, to the Jews, he's saying, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So Gentiles get saved. And guess what? They want to share it with others. Look what it says in verse 49. The word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. That word spreading is literally the word being carried. That's the Greek word there. So the good news they shared with these these folks, these Gentiles in Antioch, Pisidia, they took and they carried it to other places. The gospel went viral. And that's what we want to see happen, right? The gospel spreading like wildfire. But it will never happen. The gospel will not go viral until we share it. Now, you've undoubtedly seen these videos, these YouTube videos of things that go viral, right? You've probably wasted a lot of time at work. Watching these viral videos. There's something really important, like a cat falling off a roof or something. I mean, just something really consequential, right? And these videos, they're entertaining, they make you laugh, and people see it, and they enjoy it, and they, and they want to share it. That's how something goes viral. You share the good news, and when people receive it, they enjoy their salvation, their relationship with God through Christ, and they desire to share it, and they share it. And then the next person is saved, and they share it. And when that begins to happen, when folks begin to share the good news, it goes viral and spreads like wildfire. That's how you reach the world. That's how you, listen, that's how you change America. But here's the deal. We are not sowing the seed of the gospel enough. We're not opening up our mouths and talking about Christ. And if that's not happening, it's not going to go viral. And so they had a sowing strategy. Everywhere they go, even they get kicked out of somewhere, they go to the next town, and guess what? They share the gospel everywhere they go. They had a sowing strategy. Secondly, they had a discipleship strategy. A discipleship strategy. Do you notice how they encouraged the converts? Verse 43. After the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and, and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. One scholar, David Peterson, writes this, The verb to continue implies that they had arrived at an apprehension of the grace of God through Paul's preaching and were to remain faithful to what they had heard. In other words, folks got saved, and Paul and Barnabas are walking along with them saying, Hey, 
Keep on keeping on. Follow Jesus. Obey Him. Live for His glory. Pursue Him. Walk with Him. Talk with Him. They were encouraging them in the grace of God. They encouraged the converts. When we see people saved, guess what? When people are born again, you know what they need? They need some encouragement, don't they? They encourage the converts. But secondly, they spend extended time with people teaching the word. Fast forward down to chapter 14. They're kicked out of Antioch, Pisidia. And it says in verse, uh, verse uh, 1 of chapter 14, At Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Again, gospels for Jews, gospels for Greeks, for Gentiles. Folks get saved. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So, in the midst of persecution and hardship, so, they remained for how long? What's it say? A long time. We don't know exactly how long, but it was a long time. They remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So the Bible says that, that a great number of folks are saved, and Paul and Barnabas stay for a long time. They're hanging out with these new believers, spending time with them, helping them to grow. And it's interesting that as they go through these different cities on the first missionary journey, they decide to go back through those cities to check on the believers to see how they are doing. They spent time with the disciples. Now listen to me. I know I'm not much. I don't, have a, I don't bring a whole lot to the table. But I am what I am today. I am who I am today because a pastor, a young pastor, when I was a teenager, decided to spend some time with me and encourage me and show me how to walk with the Lord. And that made a profound difference in my life. Listen to me. Our goal is not just to make converts. Our goal is to make disciples. Yes, people have to be saved to get into the kingdom. That's the starting place for discipleship. They have to be born again. They have to embrace the gospel by repentance and faith. We want to see people converted and saved, but it doesn't stop there. We spend time with them. We, we teach them. We follow up with them so they can grow in their faith and reach out to others. And the gospel goes viral. That's how it works. So Paul and Barnabas had a sowing strategy, and they had a discipleship strategy. But third, they had an exit strategy. This is interesting. They had an exit strategy, just very quickly. Look what happens in chapter 13, verse 51. It says, They shook off the dust from their feet. They were stirred up, uh, people were stirred up against them. They drove them out of their district. Verse 50, They shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. What in the world is that all about? Shaking the dust off your feet? What is that? I don't know how they even look. Do they take your sandals off and kind of beat them together and say we're out of here? Where are they getting that from? Well, they're getting it from the instructions of Jesus in Matthew 10. Jesus said when you go into a village, if you share the gospel and they're not receptive, you share it, even among hard-hearted people, you share it, but then if they don't want to hear anything else, if they want to kick you out, you know what you do? You shake off the dust off your feet and go to the next village. The shaking off of the dust of the feet is a, is a symbolic way to say, hey, you're responsible for what you've heard. I've tried to share it with you. You've rejected. You are responsible for what you do with this message. Now, here's what's interesting. Some Jews, when they would go into a predominantly Gentile area or a predominantly Gentile city, 
when they would leave that Gentile area, you know what they would do? They would take off their shoes and shake the dust off. As if to say, I'm glad I'm leaving that unclean area. Because they hated the Gentiles. Isn't it ironic that now Paul and Barnabas are shaking off their shoes at Jews, saying, you are unclean because you have rejected the good news. They shook the dust off of their feet and went to the next city. And then look what happens in Iconium. It says in verse 4, chapter 14, as they bore witness to the Lord, the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. So when they were about to be stoned, they went to the next city and kept preaching the gospel. Now, we just read that passage and say, oh, no big deal. Stoning was a big deal. What they would do is, is they would usually bury you up to your waist, and then the other folks would get large stones and pelt you with those stones until you died. Or they'd throw you into a pit, and they'd all stand around the edge of the pit and throw stones at you until you died. Awful, awful, barbaric way to die. And these folks are so upset with Paul and Barnabas preaching the gospel, they're ready to stone them. And so what do Paul and Barnabas do? They, they get out of town, to use no phrase, they live to fight another day. And there's wisdom in that. We're called, if you look in your notes, we're called to be bold and persevere in hardship, but realize there may come a time when we've done all that we can do. And wisdom says, hey, go to the next, go to the next area for a while. Move from the situation. It's not wise for you to stay. There is an exit strategy, and they take it here. And so that means that when we go into different areas, difficult areas, We've uh, we got to be wise. We've got to be bold, courageous. We've got to be wise. And there might be a time it's best to remove ourselves so that we can re-engage at a different time in a different way. Understand in your notes, there are times when it is wise to relocate. That's what we see here in this text. And so here's the, here's the, the overall point. Because in this room, you're either called to missions or you're what? Okay, let's do it again. In this room, you're either called to missions or you're called to what? Be a everyday missionary. Everyone in this room. Everyone in this room. How do you do it? You sow the gospel. You share the good news. You follow up with people that are saved. And you just use wisdom to know the best way to engage, the right time to disengage, so that you can be used with maximum effectiveness to get the gospel to the lost for the glory of God. And let me sum it up like this. Wherever God has you, whether you're on the other side of the world or whether you're just, you know, going through the day-in, day-out routines of life here in this area, wherever God has you, engage lostness with wisdom and boldness. And God will use you to make a difference. Wherever God has you, engage lostness with wisdom and and boldness. This is a blueprint for missionaries.